Hi there, and welcome to PodRocket, a web development podcast brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket helps software teams improve user experience with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. Try it for free at LogRocket.com today. My name is Paul, and joined with me is Liran Tal. He's the Director of Developer Advocacy over at SNCC. He's here to chat about his recent conference talk, The Char Wars, The Path Traversal Strikes Back. And man, I'm excited to talk with Liran. We were mentioning before we hopped into the podcast today, like it's generally a new topic for me. What is path traversal? Why is it dangerous? We're going to be getting into that today. But really quickly, besides being a JavaScript enthusiast, Node.js developer, Liran has been building applications, command line tools for over a decade now. He's received the OpenJS Foundation's Pathfinder Award for security in his work. And he just loves elevating other people around the planet. If you check out his GitHub, content rich, full of awesome posts, gists, and projects. Welcome to the podcast, Liron. It's awesome to have you. Thank you for having me, Paul. And what an amazing intro. I couldn't have done any better that myself. I hope it conveys my excitement to get into this. Like I mentioned in the intro, we're going to be talking about path traversal. And you mentioned all over your GitHub, you are a Node.js guy. So before we step into this, is just is this only Node.js? This is a lot of stuff. It applies to a lot of domains, right? Path reversals, yeah. That security concept is definitely transitionary between different ecosystems, languages. And so it's a good gem to basically understand how that works. So you're going to build some secure code. And I, I don't know what domains we're going to be talking about in the context today. I'd love to talk about what domains this might affect. But to get into it, what is path traversal, Liron, and why is it something important? that we want to crack into today. Let's start with like, why is that important? Because I think developers are made aware of like general public concerns, things like they see vulnerabilities when they install stuff with NPM audit, maybe they think or hear about malicious packages at times when they install packages. And that's all kind of the things that are top of mind, the cybersecurity news, the stuff on, on newsletters and whatever. But specific insecure coding conventions that may end up as like, actual vulnerabilities like bad traversal are not the stuff that you always see. So at, at the gist of it, the very kind of the raw definition for it is bad traversal or also known as like a directory traversal as well. It's a thing that exploits those secure, insufficient security validation, I would say, that when you do not sanitize your inputs and uh, they might be you know, user generated from users using your application, things end up traversing to parent directories or actually like looking for files on the file system. Those kind of like inputs, they end up into very sensitive APIs, things like child process or uh, bat modules that end up reading files and saving them on disk and stuff like that. So as you concatenate bats and stuff like that, at the end of the day, that may actually end up with someone being able to, as it says, traverse a directory, which essentially means they can access files that you don't really want them to be able to access. It's a permission boundary, right? At the end of the day my file system. Yeah, so exactly that. If you do not have that boundary in some way, you sanitize the input, you use uh, maybe a correct way of using APIs to basically concatenate bats in a secure way, then you end up like going outside of the boundary of what the application should actually provide you, the image file that you downloaded or uploaded or something like that. And then you can access uh, things that you don't want to access. That's, you know, things like your config.json, all of your APIs, your database credentials, everything there. That's pretty much the raw definition for this. So you talked about path traversal in your talk, the char wars, the path traversal strikes back. And if we're talking about a new concept and I want to model in my head, I want to know what's an example of something that happened in the real world or like what are some inspirations about why you are presenting something the way it is. So if we could maybe start with why did you call it the Char Wars and why did you 
say the path traversal strikes back. And then I would love to dig into if there's like an example that you had in that talk, maybe that inspired the, the name. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. So I guess that kind of like came back from Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back in, in that specific episode. And it, it's like the way I felt with path traversal as a vulnerability, because as a security vulnerability, if you like scan your dependencies or something like that, you would probably rarely see path traversal vulnerability. It's not that common. If you even look at the OWASP top 10, which is kind of a standard, not really a standard, but a list of web security risks that you should be aware of, the top 10 concerning, it's not even listed there. So like, why are we even talking about it? So that is kind of like where I was going with this, where it can actually strike back. It can actually be very brutal in terms of the impact of a bad traversal attack. And I was, I guess the Star Wars <laughs> inspiration came in and Star Wars is characters. And that's like how you use different character encoding to actually access file system paths. So when you say we're talking about encoded characters, obviously there's the UTF-8 and ASCII boundaries and encodings that you can go through. But when you're mentioning like sticking on and concatenating a path and accessing a directory, I'm thinking about simply that, concatenating a string, maybe injection or something. But when you mention something being encoded, is there another layer that we need to peel back here about a whole, like under the user land of Node.js sort of level about how path traversal could happen? So... The funny thing about path reversals is that to actually execute, to actually employ a path reversal attack, like just the attack, that's the payload itself is like very straightforward. You essentially traverse a directory. So if you're trying to access like an image file on some server, so you know you the whole HTTP scheme, the address, the domain, and then slash you know maybe public slash some image file that PNG or whatever. And if you wanted to traverse back and see if you can access, say, sensitive files, that server might be leaking accidentally, of course. And maybe you go and try and access dot, dot, slash, dot, dot, slash, you know, config.json or something like that. So the actual payload is simple to an extent to be able to try and access those kind of sensitive files. And so this is kind of like where we're starting to get more hands-on with, hey, but what if the developers on the application side actually putting mitigations control and actually looking at that slash is that part of the request URL, right? The path being requested, I'll deny it. And then comes in all the fun stuff with URL encoding, which circumvents the whole process altogether. And then everything falls down, breaks apart, and batch reversal happens. Well, I feel like a lot just happened in the last 15 seconds later on. So you mentioned URL encoding and then power traversal happens. Can we like rewind the cassette tape and start right there? Definitely. Yeah. What happens with URL encoding? Why is that significant? URL encoding is a method uh, supported by the spec, by the internet for in, in a sense. And we can actually use that to circumvent any kind of path mitigations that have been added as a security control. And so what I mean by that is essentially, if you have a file name or your first and last name and you want to put that in the URL and you want to replace a dot with its actual encoding to transfer that as a dot to, to say this is a dot, you can you actually use percent to %2e in the URL. So you can actually access files like slash public slash liran percent to %2e. Uh, tell. And then, you know, if you signify, you symbolize to the system, you're trying to access a file that's named liran.tel. And the whole browsers, servers around the whole HTTP spec and that layer of the networking stack knows that it needs to decode URL that have been encoded, like the percent to %2e. Kind of like imagine there's like a regex going on behind the scenes. And then it decodes that and say, okay, I'm actually supposed to access a file called slash public slash liran.tel because that's what the percent to E encoding kind of like symbolized. 
I was just going to add, if anybody is listening and you're like, what are these guys talking about? Copy and paste the share link for this podcast and put it in. You can see percent %2F, percent %2E, like those are all URL encoded parameters. And later on, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're talking about those specifics right here that you'll find in the address bar from the URL. Link. Yeah. And so essentially when we have these encoded parameters, it adds an extra layer of abstraction. You're saying when the developers, it's like, should I check for how this is encoded if I'm doing a manual like parsing of the HTTP request? It's something that you need to be aware of where people can inject almost parameters and dot, dot, slash, dot, dot, slash. Right. This is kind of like where things go a bit fuzzy in terms of who's the responsibility in terms of as an application developer, like where does the responsibility lies when you manage this kind of, if I'm using a library that is all like static or SD or whatever, right? If you're using a library to serve static files. I don't know, like potentially you might think that it is the responsibility of that library to protect against it. Maybe it has this toggle that you need to enable secure mode is true or whatever. Hopefully you don't need to actually turn anything on because you'll have security by default. But yeah, that's, it really depends. Are you the person actually implementing the file access or file management part of things? And if not, and even more, it's, it's not just serving static files, think about the aspect, like a capability that you have as allowing users to upload files. Well, those files, if you manage the upload on like a node server, you actually receive the input, you have to like save the files somewhere. So then again, you go into that problem of concatenating file system strings, like, I don't know, slash TMP, whatever. And then, you know, the file that was uploaded and what happened if I am using like a form upload and then multi-part form upload and I'm actually like updating and modifying that the file name is not really yoda.png, but actually dot, dot, dot slash yoda.png. And then you're taking that and not maybe thinking about the actual security implications that, well, someone could actually control that because that's user input. Do you feel like this is coming back to the naming of your talk? This is like a, an oversight of the industry as a whole, and that's why it's coming to strike us back almost. It's the type of vulnerability I've been having lots of fun just exploring myself. I've been dabbling and doing a lot of security research. So I've been looking at a lot of code that has those kind of vulnerabilities. And definitely about a few years back, I think pre-2020, there's been significant evidence of a lot of like patch reversal vulnerabilities being found and disclosed. And that's based on kind of like an accumulated research that like an aggregate research that was specifically looking at finding vulnerable codes, patch reversal, and then it like found 200 of those NPM packages and disclosed all of those. And those things actually happen. If you look daily at vulnerability feeds on a daily basis, you'll find new vulnerabilities, some of which are patch reversal as well. I guess even more than that, it's that impact that patch reversal has. In that talk I gave, it actually has this evidence or like a reference for how like a mail server was actually abused via a kind of batch reversal vulnerability. They started a whole exploitation through batch reversal and they have escalated that attack into remote code execution, which is when you talked about like the impact in the industry is people think batch reversal is a very simple vulnerability. But its actual impact, if someone is able to exploit it, is potentially very wide. And it depends on how your application server is actually built, if it has the right file system permissions from the get-go. If you save sensitive files on the file system, like you know, config.json, api.db, or whatever, and you have a credential there and I can access them, that's not exactly a good thing. I'd love to ask you about something that has happened in the real world that might relate to path traversal. But before I do that, I just want to take a quick second to remind our listeners that the podcast is brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket offers session replay 
issue tracking for your front-end full-stack application and product analytics to help you quickly surface and solve impactful issues affecting your user experience. So if you wanted to try to debug your app and empower your teams, head over to logrocket.com and try it out today. So SNCC, as in general, at the company, you guys deal with static analysis and looking at packages and I know a host of other things, but it's up the vein of security and making sure there's good hygiene. Does this play into your day-to-day work at the company, looking at the patch reversal vulnerabilities and building it into your products? Yeah, definitely. There's like an interesting story as well there too, because we had kind of like embarked on a research about two years. Yeah, 2021, we had this research where we were looking at VS Code extensions and trying to see if there's around the whole supply chain security and see if there's like malicious packages, just general things like that. As developers, like if I ask you, right, like you're uh, always like trading, hey, what's your theme? What's your favorite VS Code extension? <laughs> and like developers exchanging those. Uh, so we looked into this and uh, we found that extensions, that they had security vulnerabilities inherent in the extension itself. Now, as as a developer using the IDE as like a tool, when you install an extension, you don't think about the impact of a, of a set extension having a security vulnerability, right? That's okay, whatever. I don't deploy this to production. It doesn't really make sense if it has any. I don't mind. I, I'm seeing you nodding and saying, no, you don't mind. So I'm taking that as a confirmation here. Oh, I'm in total agreement here. Like if I see an extension, I look for 4.8 stars or more. And that's it. <laughs> Download counts too? <laughs> yeah, of course. And if you get a download count of under 500, you're special. You're into some niche stuff. Yeah, but please, Leron. So what happens when you, you're not paying attention? I'm not paying attention. The people listening aren't paying attention. What are we up against? Yeah, yeah. So what ended up happening is that we found several extensions having some vulnerabilities and a vulnerability as literally as simple as a patch reversal vulnerability. But the sneak security researchers were able to come up with potentially like a zero click payload, like an, an exploit that uh, the fact that you have like a patch reversal vulnerability and takes that escalates this up. And actually that ends up being either a potential uh, thing like command injection or just like accessing your files, like you just leak them. And and so, so far it's okay. So how does that actually happen? And they've used very interesting techniques also that you'd have to actually circumvent how security protocols like cores and standards like that actually work in the browser. So that actually made things a bit harder to exploit that. But one of those extensions was like open a file as a readme and like just view it on the right pane of your IDE, which I do that sometimes. I don't need to like commit it and then see it on GitHub, right? And this thing, it works in a very simple way. It like literally spins off a web server that runs locally so that it can render as a web view the markdown to HTML. Now you understand there's like paths involved, right? Because it needs to take the readme as an input and then render that as a server, as like a web server thing and so on. And that has a patch reversal vulnerability. And that is something that we have like a recording of this and I've often demoed this as well during this talk, where if you're a developer and you have your IDE open, which who hasn't, then I can send you a link. And the moment that you click on that link, I can access any file that I want on your machine, on your developer environment, laptop or whatever that is. And literally the only thing you need to do is click and visit that link. So I can plant that on some Reddit or Stack Overflow or just send it to you as some DM and with some phishing attack or whatever. But essentially that is game over. And 
this is due to the fact that the VS Code extension has this vulnerability that allowed me to fool it and exploit the, that vulnerability and access any file on disk. And all of that really happened, really just due to the fact it has that patch reversal vulnerability. So that story comes back into what we're building at Sneak Day today as well, because we're also building developer-first security tooling, which means that when you fire up your IDE, if you have a Sneak extension installed, then we kind of like show you, hey, there's like a potential, you know, insecure coding convention here, and you can see how other repositories have fixed it and so on. That is pretty cool. But the really cool story of this whole story coming full circle here is we cloned the repository of that VS Code extension that was vulnerable to patch reversal. Then we kind of like, you know, scanned it as it was in the IDE, and it pinpointed several lines of code that had the vulnerability of patch reversal. So essentially, if you were the extension developer, and you had used the tool, you could have mitigated the whole vulnerability while coding it. So it's an interesting way of seeing how those kind of like little things, when you find them back at your IDE, at your code writing level, part of the process of software development process is very critical. You mentioned maybe two or three times now on the podcast that like patch reversal at its core is a simple concept to wrap your head around. Like you're accessing a directory you're not supposed to, and it has like profound consequences here. And in this example that you're giving us where they have the VS Code extension, you can access any file. It sounds like this is not so simple because <laughs> you need to open up a web server. Like, do you have to like forward ports or something to make the web server relay to the open network? Not specifically. For that VS Code extension, there's like a deep dive that has a bunch of flowcharts explaining how it happens. That specifically is like a tough one to crack because uh, the web server listens on, uh, on like local host addresses. And so if I'm sending you some like malicious link that I control, uh, I can't just get you to access local host because of course and all of those kind of things. There's like a nice, interesting game of we're literally like port scanning the actual ports that the web server listens locally within JavaScript and trying to access it. Then there's like an iframe to like uh, to uh, escape from, uh, you know, from some security sandboxes. And it, there's like an interesting uh, uh, reading material on this, definitely. But this is really just in the case of like the VS Code extension, you know, running locally as a web server. Uh, if you if you take it from that concept to like, you know, the Apache web server, right? Like that's a, that's a web server that has been built. Uh, For decades. Yeah, exactly, right? And, and like recently, you know, again, batch reversal here, and you ask like how popular it is or what's that impact like? Apache had a vulnerability back in 2022 uh, of like batch reversal. And, you know, there was like obviously amazing, brilliant developers working in the Apache Foundation on the Apache project. And they have missed secure coding conventions in that sense. And if to make things like worse or like to think, why is it so serious? That vulnerability is actually the batch reversal vulnerability is actually due to the fact that a prior fix to another vulnerability was not properly implemented. So you can also understand like how to write secure code or like how to use the APIs correctly, do all the validation, do the path concatenation in the right way, decode from URLs. All of that has to be very like perfect laid in. Otherwise, you get all of those patch reversal vulnerabilities and insecure coding conventions coming in, creeping in, and vulnerabilities happen. Now, if you're using the SNCC extension, or maybe you're using other static analysis tools, like it has to look at your code, it has to have some knowledge, but we're talking about context and almost like AI level tooling here that helps you as a developer. And from your perspective, is detecting and pointing out path traversal in any way more complicated than a typical HTTP security standard that you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast might be the forefront 
of our minds and developers because it almost feels like bringing back to oh yeah it's a simple concept under the hood but like detecting when it can happen and where those areas of friction could exist sound sneaky i think it's it's still you still get the right context that like if you see the vulnerability outlined by you know what like yeah like the sting extension or something else that does study code analysis it's straightforward to understand i think from like the secure coding perspective like the fact there is potentially some input that may escape but at the same time there's still some kind of like background that you would need to have to understand like well what is batch reversal and what can someone send in to me as a developer like to the app how will my application behave if they get you know a weird kind of input right not what i intended them to support i think from that specific uh, uh, perspective it's not very hard to understand, but sometimes we just don't think about it. Like how many times have you thought of when you unzip an archive, I can actually plant like a patch reversal link inside the archive. So when you uncompress it, when you unzip the archive or whatever, it will actually write outside of where you were intending to do it. And I think the awareness, thinking of how things can break is a mindset that developers have to adapt to, to just generally be open to understand, hey, yeah, of course, something can probably go wrong here uh, because, you know, this and that may happen. So if people walking away from this podcast today wanted to improve the general awareness or specifically about path traversal, just learn more specifically about path traversal, does SNCC have blogs and resources out? And Liron, do you have favorites, what be it YouTube videos, blogs you've written? that you might want to point listeners to, to go learn more. Yeah, I think we started off with this is based off of the whole, this is like a new talk based on patch reversal in NodeCon EU when we had this presented at. And I think uh, that's that's a really good way to just understand what is this in like a visual way as well, if you needed to and see code examples. You asked me about my favorites and I'm going to share again. Sneak Learn is like a really great resource that provides really bite-sized small lessons for developers that are like very interactive and they are very technical yet very small. So if you do not know what patch reversal is, can just Google sneak learn patch reversal or something like that to land on this like web page that looks like an interactive lesson. You don't need to sign up to log in anything. It's completely free and you can learn that for Java and JavaScript. And I highly recommend that as like a learning resource. Awesome. So it was sneak learn S N Y K. Yeah, you should probably just go to like learn.sneak.io and you'll find it there. Awesome. And Liron, what's your favorite VS Code extension? <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that's going to come in at one point. What is it? There, there's one by a lovely developer. It helps me do screenshots. I think it's called, I forgot the name. I think it's called Screen Down, but we'll add it in the links afterwards. So you can use that. I very much enjoy that. I love that we're talking about all the extensions in all the planet and there's so many things coming out and we're talking to one of the guys who's on the forefront of what's going on in the JavaScript ecosystem and he says, my favorite extension takes screenshots for me. <laughs> and we're going to end with that. Liron, if people wanted to follow you or do Twitter, do you have a Twitter? Do you post on Twitter? Yeah, I'm regularly there. So Twitter slash Liron underscore Tal or on GitHub, I'm just Liron Tal. Liron, thank you for your time. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.